you look in the inside back cover of your bulletin, you'll see there's an outline there that we're going to follow today as we look into the scriptures. When Jesus was on earth, he said that there was one thing that he was going to build. And there was one thing. He calls us to do all kinds of different things in life. He calls us in different ways at home, in the workplace, in our neighborhoods. But there is one thing that Jesus promised to build. And this one thing is the, it's, it's, it's the essential component of God's work on earth. Now, this one thing that Jesus has promised to build is the cause of an incredible amount of controversy. Okay, What Jesus promised to build is very polarizing. Okay, worse than politics. Some people love what Jesus has promised to build. Other people hate it. And there are still others who ignore it and hope it will go away. But it's vital for us. It's vital for us to understand that Jesus is committed to building this one thing. And he tells us what that is in Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus says, Jesus says, we have an old version of slides. Um, Okay, we're looking for Matthew 16, 18. And what Jesus says there, he says, I will build my church. So Jesus says in a conversation with the 12 apostles, Jesus says, I will build my church. And so it's the church that Jesus has promised to build. And I know that being in a room like this, that is filled with both people who love Jesus and people who don't know him, people who, there are people here who love Jesus, who love the church, and there are people who love Jesus and don't love the church. There are people here who don't know Jesus, who don't love Jesus, and they're not excited about the church. And so I know that as we talk about Jesus's commitment to building the church, again, this creates some angst, doesn't it? That Jesus is committed to the church. When you think about the church, what do you think about? For some people, the church has literally saved their lives. For other people, the church has destroyed their life. For some people, the church has given them hope. And for others, the church has actually destroyed any hope in humanity that they have ever had. And it's important for us to be honest about this. We are a church, right? We are hopefully part of what Jesus is building. But if we're not aware that in our culture today, there are people who have had radically positive and radically negative experiences with the church, then we are going to seem out of touch. We're not going to be able to connect with people who have been burned by the church. Now, what I love about Harbor is that for so many of us, we are here because we've been burned by the church. And we don't claim to be a perfect church by any stretch of the imagination, but in so many ways, Harbor has been a harbor for people who have had awful experiences in the past. Um, And so I think part of the key, part of the key to understanding what Jesus is saying here so that we don't misapply it, some people would read this verse and say, okay, well, that means anything that calls itself the church Jesus is for it, and Jesus is on their side. That's just not true. In fact, even in the Bible, as the New Testament was being written, 
There were churches that were um, acting outside of what Jesus wanted. And Jesus actually says, if you read Revelation 2 and 3, there are churches that Jesus says to them, he says, I am against you. I have a few things against you. I have this against you. And he says, if you all don't turn, if you all don't stop what you're doing, I'm going to come against you. And when judgment comes, you're not going to be on my side because I'm not right now on your side. And I think for us to, to, to just to understand that, for us to speak that out loud, it's so healthy for us uh, because it humbles us because then it, asks, it forces us to ask the question, are we really the church Jesus is building? But even more importantly, it helps us to be able to connect with people who have been burned by the church. Um, it is so often, and it's, it's become like a practice where when people find out that I'm a Christian or I'm a pastor, um, sometimes they don't want to share with me the negative thoughts they have about church, but sometimes I can get them to share with me. Um, and sometimes people just say, man, I don't like the church. And I say, oh, well, which church don't you like? Which church don't you like? And they kind of stop and go, well, I don't like churches that are controlling. I don't like churches that are manipulative. I don't like churches that are money, money hungry and, and they're trying to get after your money. Um, and I say, I'm really glad to hear that because I don't like those churches either. And more importantly, Jesus doesn't like those kinds of churches. And to be able to say that to someone makes them realize, oh, wait, whoa. So there's other ways to be a church? Like, there are churches that know the problems that I have with the church or I've had in the past with the church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not perfect, but we're trying to be the best version of what Jesus started here on earth. Um, and being able to have that conversation is crucial. For you to be able to speak that way and to address issues like that helps people to know, oh, you're someone that I can trust. You're someone I can talk to. Right? And so when we see that Jesus was committed to building his church, we need to have the maturity and the wisdom to be able to parse out. There's a lot of layers in, in applying and understanding this verse today. And so the question is, what is the church? And what is the church Jesus planned to build? Well, I would say that the church is the community of people who are committed to Jesus and are continuing the story that he began. Okay, this isn't in a blank yet, although that probably should be something you write down. The church is the community of people who are committed to Jesus and are continuing the story that he began. And so the church, are, the church is the people who believe in Jesus and they have their lives centered around the gospel. Right? They have their lives centered around and they are telling and living the story of the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, we saw this last week. When we talked about being gospel-centered as a church, we are a church that's gospel-centered. We're not rule-centered. We're not guilt-centered. We are gospel-centered, right? Jesus is the climax of the story of the Bible, okay? He's the climax of the story of the Bible. At the core, the Bible is the story of the history of the world. We saw this last week. It's a story about a God and the world that he made. It's a story about a love that drove God to give a gift so that the brokenness of the world could be renewed. But that's the gospel. And this gift that God gave, he gave this so that the people, um, the people of the world would be renewed. And the story of Jesus 
The story of Jesus is the story of God on earth to rescue, forgive, and renew people so that those renewed people would renew the world. That's good news. And so the church, the church is the men, the women, and the children who have made this God and this story the center of their lives. Okay, they are committed to God as Father, and they're committed to each other as brothers and sisters. And so this is the church. This is what Jesus came to build. This is what he promised to build. This is the church that Jesus loves. Okay, and we're going to look at that. So the first blank that I want you to fill in there on your handout today is that what Jesus loves, we should join. Okay, this is the point of what we're going to see today. What Jesus loves, we should join. And trust me when I say that I understand the tension that some of you feel. Because if you're saying, wait a second, just because Jesus loves the church, does that mean that I have to approve of everything that the church does? Right? The answer is no. The answer is no. Um, this is going to take wisdom. Right? Is it possible to join something that's not perfect without being corrupted by it? I hope so. Maybe, maybe not. Right? We're going to look today at why Jesus loves the church and then what it means to join what Jesus loves. Okay, and so first, our first point there is that Jesus is building a community where no one is alone. Okay, Jesus is building a community where no one is alone. This is what Jesus has in mind when he says, I will build my church. Okay, and I want you to see this from Ephesians chapter 5. This is verses 25 to 27. In this, it's, it's an exhortation to husbands. Uh, it's an exhortation to husbands, but it uses this example, and it shows us this beautiful picture of Jesus and the church. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so we see here that Jesus didn't just commit to building the church, but Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. And this love is defined in these verses. Right? He gave himself for the church. What we see here is sacrificial love. Jesus is coming to earth was a sacrifice. But Jesus came with teaching. He came to teach people, you know, to show people a life of fulfillment and satisfaction. Jesus healed people and he did miracles to give people a foretaste of what that life of fulfillment and satisfaction would be like. I mean, that's what the miracles were for. They were foretastes of the lives so people could taste and see that this teaching that Jesus was offering was good. And yet he was rejected. Jesus was criticized. As Jesus came to bring life to the world, Jesus was mocked. He was undermined. His enemies conspired to torture him, humiliate him, and ultimately kill him. And he endured all of this. He endured all of this suffering. It's an act of love. It was an act of love because he came to build the church. He came to do these things so that people could feel his love. And when he died, he endured all of this suffering 
so that he could unleash a powerful forgiveness on the world that was stronger than all of the evil that was hurled at him. You follow me? That what Jesus did by successfully suffering through death, everything that he experienced up to the point of death, right, and he experienced death, he did that to unleash a powerful forgiveness that was stronger than all of the evil that was done to him. Well, he then gives this sacrificial love and this powerful forgiveness to everyone who commits to following him. That's how the gospel works. Jesus does this thing for us on the cross, something that we cannot do. We can't die for our sins. We can't suffer the punishment that our sins deserve. Right? We can't do that, but Jesus did it for us. And then he gives us the love that he showed us when he died for us. But even besides Jesus' enemies, Jesus' friends were also a suffering sacrifice. Right? As you read the Gospels, you see that the group that was with him, even his friends, uh, were so trying. They were so difficult. Um, I often look at Jesus' interactions with his disciples, and I feel like, wow, as a parent, I get this. It seems almost like what Jesus is dealing with. He's dealing with kids who never get it. Right? The disciples, he, they just don't understand Jesus. Now, why? Well, in some ways, it's because they wanted to use Jesus to serve their own agenda. Right? They wanted Jesus to be this powerful, conquering king who would destroy all of their enemies and make them reign with him. And when Jesus began to teach them about sacrificial love, when Jesus began to teach them about things that were difficult, they were like, wait a second, we didn't sign up for this. Jesus says, I need you to pick up your cross and follow me. And so you've got to think about this idea. They, they wanted to triumph. They didn't want to sacrificially love others. And so even among Jesus' friends, he was often alone. It was trying and suffering for Jesus to live his life. I mean, what this means is we look at Ephesians 5. It says that Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her. That didn't start on the cross, but it actually started with the incarnation. When Jesus was born, his suffering began. When Jesus was born, him giving himself for the church began. And he did this, the text says, to wash and to cleanse his people and to renew them from the inside out. He washes the church. I mean, we sang he washes us with his blood. This verse says he washes us with the word. It's his teaching. It's this gospel story that Jesus reminds us that at the core of the universe, there is a power. There is a God. Um, and that God is not fundamentally defined by power. That God is fundamentally defined by love. That at the core of the gospel is a God who loved so much that he gave. He gave himself for us. I mean, this is... The story of God's love for the world through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so Jesus is building a community where no one is alone. That's the point that we're looking at. And what's interesting here is that what Paul says in this, in this verse in Ephesians is that he says that Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her. The idea here is that Jesus didn't save us to be alone. He saved us so that we would be part of a family. 
saved us, that we'd be part of a family. And what's exciting is that this is how the Bible explains the church that Jesus is building. Let me just share with you a few verses. This is one of the apostles who said this. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So what do you see here? You see that the, the apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, as far as he was concerned, when you look at the world full of sin, he was first in line. The church that Jesus is building is full of people that believe this about themselves. They don't think they're better than anyone else. They know more than anyone else their own sin. And so they don't judge others. They don't condemn others. But they realize that they are who they are because Jesus came into the world to save them. This is the church that Jesus came to build. Luke 15, 1. This is the beginning of the parable of the prodigal son. And so often we jump to the parable of the prodigal son without reading the beginning. This is the introduction. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. So all the wrong people are coming to Jesus. And it says in the next verse, it says, Now the religious leaders were looking on and they were saying, Like, this is ridiculous. Why does Jesus hang out with them? And the parable of the prodigal son is actually Jesus' explanation of this. The tax collectors and the sinners are coming to him. And so Jesus tells a story of a man with two sons. And one of them goes off and lives a life that's scandalous and shameful. They squander their inheritance. And then they turn and come back. And the father, I mean, just to shorten the story, the father sees the son coming back. And he doesn't fold his arms and wait. He doesn't tap his foot. He doesn't say, where the hell have you been? He doesn't say, I told you so. What does the father do? The father goes running. The father goes running and he embraces the son. And he says, son, I am so grateful to have you home. The son is trying to apologize. The son is trying to admit how wrong he was. And the father cuts him off and says, we need to throw a party. Because my son was dead and now he's alive. He was gone, but he has returned. Jesus says that heaven rejoices when sinners come back. And so Jesus says that what's going on when the tax collectors and the sinners are drawing near to him, Jesus is saying heaven is throwing a party and we are joining in. So this is the church that Jesus is building. Jesus is building a church not of the, I got everything in my life together. Jesus is not building a church of people that are perfect. Jesus is not building a a church full of people who know how to put on a happy face when they show up on Sundays. Jesus is building a community of people who know that they are not alone. The thing that isolates us more often from from other people in the church, but even in general, the thing that causes us to be isolated from our friends, even from our family members, but especially in the church, is because we think that we're alone. 
we think we're dealing with something that no one else has dealt with. We think that we have a problem that no one else can understand. We think that we have an issue, that we're struggling with something that makes us worse than everyone else. We think that something has happened to us um, that makes us less than. We feel ashamed. Right? We think we have a family member that we have to hide. We think we have stories about our past that if they ever got out, we couldn't show our face here again. Friends, brothers and sisters, like if that's how you feel, then we are not the church that Jesus is building. If we don't strive, if we don't work really hard to help other people know that when it comes to sin, I am the foremost, then we're going to create a culture here where people feel like they're alone. This is the church that Jesus is building so that when these kinds of people come, there are kinds of people because we know what kinds of people we are. We know the things that we've done. We know the things that we've thought. We know the things that we've desired in our own hearts. And we know that at the cross, there is no hierarchy. We're all sinners saved by grace. And when the tax collectors and the sinners come, we rejoice. We make them feel welcome. And we help them to know that they're not alone. Mark 2, this is from the words of Jesus in verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so there's good news. There's good news. You know the song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, Coming Forward to Carry Me Home? I think about that song, like this chariot swinging down from heaven, and I think about like a ski lift for some reason. Um, because the idea is that this chariot swings down to earth and it catches us, right? It catches us. You know, it hits us right here and puts us in the chariot and then, and then brings us home, right? It brings us into the presence of God. And the good news is that that, that song, it, we're, the song is a, is a beg of God. It's saying, God, look, will you please make sure that when you come, you can swing low enough to catch me? Because I know who I am. I know how far short I fall. Will you swing low enough to catch me? And I hear God answering that prayer, the prayer of that song by saying, yeah, this chariot swings so low that it reaches down into the grave. This is why Jesus died. It's to find us as low as we have ever been, to catch us there and to bring us home. This is the church that Jesus came to build. It's a church where everyone knows that no one is alone. This is the church that I would want to join. Right? This is the church that I think in our hearts we all hope that the church could be. I mean, even folks that aren't Christians, they want this to be the church. Right? Instead of being self-righteous, instead of being condemning, to be a place where everyone feels like they're at home. To be a place where everyone, no one feels alienated.
The church exists so that we can pursue Jesus together. Because we need each other. Right? We need each other. Um, I was thinking about uh, the symphony, right? And what a beautiful expression, I think, a symphony is of the church. And as I thought about this today, um, I was thinking, you know what? Um, The church is a symphony. It's not a solo. It's not a solo. You don't have to do it alone. You're not supposed to do it alone. But you're supposed to be one of many that accompany you so that together the music that we play produces, um, produces music that is beautiful and rich and multi-layered and textured. That's the church that Jesus came to build And so that's what Jesus is building, a community where no one is alone. And our second last point is that we commit, so we commit to him and his family. So this is what Jesus is building. We commit to him and to his family. Because when we commit to Jesus, Jesus enlists us to help him build his church. Like we become, one verse says, we become living stones. Right? So we're living stones. So the church isn't a building, but the church is, is people. Right? It's people. And so we commit to the church for ourselves and for others. Okay? We commit to the church for ourselves because, frankly, we all need someone. Like, none of us can do this alone. None of us can live a life of faith alone. None of us remember the gospel well enough. Okay? All of us know the story of Jesus come and die and rise again. Like We understand the story. We don't forget that story. And yet, for some reason, there's this disconnect that happens between that story of Jesus' sacrificial love for us and the way that we treat other people who are hard to love. Right? For some reason, in our dating relationships, in our marriages, you know, we're quick to criticize. We're quick to get defensive. Um, and it's like, wait, wait, what happened? Wait, Jesus came to understand, and then he gave his life for us. How did that get lost between Sunday and that Sunday afternoon conversation I had with my significant other? Right? We can't do this alone. In fact, when God made the world, right, he made this glorious and beautiful world, and he said, this is good, 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 this is very good. And then in Genesis 2, he says there's one thing that's not good. That's that man is alone. We don't need each other because we're broken. We need each other because we're human. And so when we commit to Jesus, we commit to his family. We commit to him and his family. And so we do this for us because without this, we cannot be. I mean, think about it. Think about how much you learn as being part of the church. Right? Think about what you learn through singing our songs, the truths that you're reminded of. Right? There's a different kind of learning Right? when we sing. Right? We have this sort of experience where we're remembering who God is. We're personally engaging with him as we sing. Right? There's something about music that grips more of us than just our brains. Right? And so we learn together in community here at church. Right? You think about the things that you learn from the sermons. But then you think about the things you learn from other people. 
How often have you heard something a bunch of times, but then it wasn't until you were in a conversation with someone that you finally got it? How often have you lived in sin and felt trapped by it until you finally opened up with someone else? You finally told someone else what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with. You know it's wrong. You've heard sermons about it. You've read Bible passages about it. You know it's wrong, but for some reason you can't get free. And then you tell someone, and all of a sudden you're not alone. And this, we commit to Jesus' family for us and also for others. Also for others. Because how amazing is it that Jesus wants you He wants you. He wants you. He wants you to be able to help someone else. Jesus wants you. He needs you to help build his church by encouraging and growing someone else's faith, by being there for them, by being present with them, by not giving up on them, by not judging and condemning, but by understanding them. We commit to Jesus and his family for us and for others. We talked last week about how the gospel redeems our stories. You know, where people say, like, this is what my life was. This is how broken it was. And then I met Jesus. And then I learned the gospel. Then I heard the good news of Jesus. And my life began to change. Well, that same thing happens when you commit to the church. Same thing happens. You'll have that same kind of spiritual propulsion that happens when you commit to the church. Now, what does it mean to commit to the church, right? How do we do that? Just really simply. I mean, showing up here on Sundays is part of a commitment to the church, right? Because what happens here is special. I mean, think about it. All of you, we all come together from all over the city And we come together once a week because we have something in common, something huge in common. And we worship the same God. We celebrate the same gospel. We come together and we eat from the same loaf, right, as we declare our dependence on Jesus and rejoice in the strength that he gives us, right? There is so much that we have in common, even though our lives are so different and we are so diverse, And so Sundays are a huge expression of being committed to the church. It's for you and so that you can be here with others. We have life groups. We have small groups that meet. There's a list on the back of your bulletin. These are places where you go to get the ability to be able to talk through things, to to, to press in more deeply into relationships and conversation. We have life groups so that you don't have to live alone. We know that it's possible to come on Sundays and never, ever connect. And so our life groups are designed for you to connect more deeply so that you can know other people and be known by them. And then we emphasize in our church discipleship. Discipleship, I mean, in some ways, all of this is discipleship. Sundays are about discipleship. It's helping us grow as followers of Jesus. Our life groups are part of us growing together as followers of Jesus. But all of us need people 
We all need people in our lives who are asking us, how are you doing? What's going on with your life? What are you learning from the Bible? How are you growing? You need that for you, and you need to be doing that with others. I mean, this is how we commit to Jesus' family. Okay, and then we have things like membership, right? Membership is really just you publicly saying, this is my church home. If Harbor is your home, you should join the church and become a member. Um, That's why we have a membership class coming up, the Harbor City intro in a couple weeks. If you're not a member, sign up for that class. Look at what membership is and join the church because this is what Jesus is building. Sometimes when you say yes to the church and membership, you experience more of Jesus. The last thing I'll say on this is in the area of money. Of money. This is another way to be committed to the church. And you know us. We're not money-grubbing. You understand that. Um, Every quarter, or every year in the fourth quarter, we get a significant percentage of our gifts that are given. Um, Your giving just picks up at the end of the year, which seems pretty common. It's been our history. Um, There are times when we ask you to give because we have a need. Because the church has a need, okay? But today, I want to remind you that committing to the church by giving isn't just for the church, but it's for you. Giving to the church is one of the ways that God sets you free from slavery to money. Giving to the church is one way that you declare to God that he owns everything that you have and that you want to honor him with all of it. And so I want to ask you to make sure that you are committing to the church financially. Not for us. Uh, we will, we're going to send out actually a letter this week um, that will talk about fourth quarter and what we need to see happen financially. Um, but before we talk about any of that, I mean, honestly, like your best life, your most fulfilled life includes being committed to the church financially. Uh, because you're part of the family. You're part of the family. So when we do this, when we do this, we become, we become a real family in the best sense of the word. I mean, for those of you who already experience this, you have people in your lives who are spiritually, um, they're spiritually talking with you, like you are talking with them, you guys have conversations together. Right? For those of you, you know how inspiring those conversations are. Like, I have talked to so many of you, and, man, it seems like so often, like, what you need is just to know that you're not alone. You just need somebody who can see you where you are, can see and to feel and to say that they care. Right? Every one of you needs that. We all need that. And when we have it, man, there's a strength that we live by. There's a strength that we have. There's a love that we have. There's a selflessness that we have that makes us a transformative community. If this is the church that Jesus is building, and if he has adopted us to be his brothers and sisters with God as our Father, um, friends, let's say, let's say yes to this. Let's commit to his family. 
so that we can be his people. Because not only is this what we need, but this is what our city needs. Because this kind of community will renew us. And we can bring that renewal to see the city renewed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for, for coming in Jesus. We thank you for saving the church. And God, we do want to be open and honest with you about the things that keep us from committing. Sometimes it's bad experiences, and we just want to bring that to you and share those negative experiences with you. Jesus, I thank you that you have come. You've come to purify the church. We're not perfect. But we long to be this kind of community that is supportive and encouraging. We long to be this kind of community that's accepting and authentic, where people feel like they're welcome here, no matter who they are, no matter where they've been. We pray that you would make us that, that family. Jesus, I pray, too, that as we do that, as we commit to each other, as we say yes to this, to spending time with each other in community, I pray that you would help us and strengthen us so we'd be able to lead others into this family, so they would find the rest and the harbor that they need. And we pray this in your name. Amen.